Um, I care for you deeply. I love you. You're my brother. And all right. You got to introduce what we do here as well. That's exactly we have to right. have a thing. Like we do news and current affairs this week. Yeah. Where we're bringing you the best news and current affairs. That's what you got to say. Welcome. Carnage House Productions, but we're bringing you the news and current affairs of the week in the wrap number eight. Yep, cool. All right. G'day and welcome to the wrap number eight. Uh, what we try and do here on the wrap is give a quick summary, if we can, uh, of news and current affairs uh, with a splattering of beta mail of the week, uh, conspiracy theories, real news. Uh, shout outs, put downs, and everything in between. Um, so this is the eighth edition of the wrap, and it's a big one because there's a few regular uh, regular faces making another appearance. Uh, you'll find out who they are later in the show, but in terms of my counterparts here, we've got young Dossie. How are you going, mate? Uh, as you, if, you're a, if you've watched the show before, you'll see that uh, my head is significantly rougher now than it was before. Um, that's something done for a good cause though also once again repping Kingdom Clothing helped me not look as uh, schmuel like so uh, I'm feeling good <laughs> that is a nice colour that is a nice colour um, it's a good fit on the uh, pumpkin on a rake it does, it does make Dukes good. how are you going? mate I'm pretty good I'm feeling a bit sorry for Andy because Alex ate all his chips um, and he was uh, he was a bit down in the dumps for a while but now we got him back we got him on we got uh, so I'm pretty happy we have the full band is back together. I did make it abundantly clear how upset I'd be if my chips were taken away. Um, and they would neither. So I'm not really taken. sure. They weren't eaten, but I've gone through the emotional torture already. It's Check out our uh, Instagram video if you want to see uh, what, took, what took place re-Andy's chips. Now, uh, we've just come back from uh, Charlie Joyner's fight last night. Um, I think we should give that a quick 30-second plug um, before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes, as we'd like to say. Um, Dukes, what was, tell us a little bit about why we went down there and what you thought the kind of the general go was. Okay, so we've had Charlie Joyner on the podcast before. It might even be our most viewed podcast. Um, anyway, he's a kind of 6'8 skyscraper of a man, cruiserweight, uh, rock'em and sock'em weapon inside that Muay Thai ring. Uh, so last night he became the Australian K1 Cruiserweight Champion uh, in a five-round fight against Mackenzie Cunningham, uh, who actually put on a great performance, and it was a great five-round fight. Um, they both represented themselves well. We felt like Charlie won comfortably, but nonetheless, Mackenzie was still throwing some good shots and clipping Charlie, even the way all the way down in the fourth and the fifth round. Yeah. Um, so we're representing Team Joyner over here, but also a big shout out to Mackenzie Cunningham, the Turkling native. Uh, if you're ever in Sydney, mate, we'd love to have you on. Um, and so it was good. He came away with the win, and so we're looking for looking forward to big things to come for Charlie. That's right. So uh, Dukes and I went made the trip down there. We uh, went through Avoca to see the family, um, and we've done. A, we're going to be doing a bit of a vlog. Uh, we've got a lot of footage. We're going to be putting it together, and just so that you can kind of document the process um, if anyone's been following our page you'll notice that we did a day in the life of Charlie Joyner in addition to the uh, interview we also did with him so if you want to check out, check Charlie out a little bit more see what he was about prior to the fight get a little bit of an insight into who he is definitely check out our mm. video um, yeah definitely check out uh, Charles's pages he's got Charles Joyner combat athlete on Facebook and yeah. Charles Joyner on Instagram um, that's Charles Joyner J-O-Y-N-E-R um Huge for that man. And then we're, next week we're going to be going to the Kyle Maestri fight. I did an interview with Kyle Maestri last week or the week before. Um, he's got a New South Wales title fight for mixed martial arts coming up. So he's, he's in the gym. He's cutting weight as we speak. So um, good luck to that man. We'll be there. Uh, hopefully making another vlog for next weekend. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how we go. But I'm definitely looking forward to um, seeing him uh, throw down a little bit. Um, so what we like to do on this program... Uh, to begin with, to kind of kick things off, get uh, everyone touching the ball, so to speak, is to do a segment we call Jumping to Conclusions, and that's where we each say something that's a little bit outlandish, a little bit outrageous, and then we pick one 
um, we think is most interesting or potentially the least justifiable and ask that person to justify it at the end of the show. So um, they, these are normally pretty hit and miss. Dougal has a record of uh, average jumping to conclusions. I think mine have been chosen the last you had, few times. You had one good one. You had one good one. Um, but I'm going to kick it off, ask uh, Stroppy Doss, what's yours? Um, controversial, but uh, that we should boycott Apple. I like it. I uh, don't like it at all. I think there's two Apple computers on this table right now. That's the point of it. Um, but I don't think you're committed to it. I'm very committed to it, actually. Regardless, we can ask Andy to explain at the end. You can ask Andy to explain. Um, my conclusion is that Red Rock Deli are the king chip brand, and there's Daylight the second. Okay. don't think there's... Well, firstly, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, but... Um... <laughs> Secondly, I think that's pretty. That's agreed upon. I think. Uh, I don't. I don't agree. I don't agree. I think that's definitely possible. That's. Uh, the, I think that yours are your two are neck and neck so far. I think there's a chance I might blow it out of the water. I may not. My conclusion is the following: Scott Morrison will win the next federal election. I say that's. Uh, that's a big one. I mean, it's not looking like he's going to win it at the moment. I think he shot himself in the foot with the One Nation um, thing, which we're going to cover as our domestic story. Yeah. Uh, who's, whose conclusion are we going to are we going to explore? Um, I'd put. Any well, I think I think we're going to cover we're going to cover that one potentially to a slightly slight degree in the Pauline Nation, Pauline uh, Hanson. <laughs> Pauline Nation, y'all. The Pauline Nation, um, the Diagonelli. Uh, Andy's one and Dougal's one, I think, would be between because we're gonna, probably going to cover mine a little bit anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to give it up to Dougs. Well, okay. do I? Get, I would get to decide. Uh, yeah, then. you decide. Uh, what was yours? That we should boycott Apple. Um, I think yours is agreed upon to a degree. I'd say less to Andy's, only because I'm interested to see, to hear his validation. Yeah, Andy squirm underneath <laughs> the uh, the weight, the cross examination of Alex and Dougs. Okay. Um, so what we like to do, domestic story, international story, then uh, a couple of awards like uh, beta male of the week. So first up, the domestic story. Um, I'm going to talk to you about the uh, two-part documentary series produced by Al Jazeera called How to Sell a Massacre, which was then broadcast on the ABC. Um, what it involved was... Um, an undercover, it was an undercover sting operation which had been going for about three years in which uh, several uh, kind of political reporters, journalists, activists set up uh, a fake group called Gun Rights Australia and then were approaching uh, Australian political entities to try and goad them into um, like statements talking about watering down Australian gun laws. Um, and so this is obviously... Uh, been released after the Christchurch um, Christchurch, Ma- Christchurch massacre, um, when kind of the gun debate is very emotional uh, right now. Uh, so what they've done is they've done a little bit of a sting on particularly One Nation, um, and it doesn't really involve Pauline Hanson that much. It actually involves uh, a chief of staff, John Ashby, and Queensland State Leader Steve Dixon. Um, and what you'll find in the news there's a lot of articles in the news about it but what what you'll actually find is that hardly any of them ever refer to real quotes from the actual uh, undercover videos mm. um, you, what you will get is that um, you'll get broad allegations of courting foreign political influence and donations from the NRA and US gun lobby right so mm-hmm. um there was a dinner conversation which was secretly taped, which uh, Ashby and uh, Dixon were present, uh, and they said, well, what would you do if you got $20 million? And they said, well, we would win uh, eight Senate seats, um, uh, blah, blah, blah. But there was actually no direct... Um, there's actually nothing about the gun laws in that, but they were saying that the, the, the media is portraying it as... Um, well, if we won eight Senate seats, we could flip the gun laws in Australia, but that's not actually what happened. And if you actually look at Pauline Hanson's response and you look at the One Nation policy prescriptions, um, you'll actually note they have quite a strong uh, firearms uh, prohibition stance. Um, 
even stronger than the one that Jacinta Ardern is proposing in New Zealand. Mm. Um, and you'll know, uh, if you're a long-time fan on this show, that we actually don't mind guns. We are kind of ideologically sympathetic to the Second Amendment in America. Um, uh, but nonetheless, uh, guns is uh, quite universally um, uh, disliked in Australia. Like there's there's no there's no mainstream movement to legalize or get, make guns more accessible. Um, obviously, the guns were taken away after Port Arthur massacre, and you can kind of still get guns, but it's just like a very uh, hard uh, and cumbersome bureaucratic process to go through. Um, and if once you get the guns, you have you don't really have any of the freedoms uh, to carry them around like you do in America. Um, but nonetheless, um, this. Uh, this, this has been published, uh, and the other angle that's been taken is that the, the media have alleged that Pauline Hanson uh, thought that the Port Arthur massacre was a government conspiracy, which is, that, that's totally wrong. Um, she came out in a statement and said she never said that. None of the video uh, supports that. Mm. Um, that's just kind of a broad allegation as a smear. Um, and as uh, in, in reaction... Um, to this, uh, the Shooters and Fishers and Farmers Party said that um, One Nation was was like, uh, they said it was a train wreck of a party. Um, Scott Morrison came out and said that uh, re- reports, this is a quote, reports that senior One Nation officials courted foreign political donations from the US gun lobby to influence our elections and undermine gun laws that keep us safe are deeply concerning. Um, and the result from that was that uh, Scott Morrison announced that at the upcoming federal election, uh, Scott Morrison will preference Labor over One Nation. Mm. Uh, and as far as I can tell, that may have sealed a Labor victory at the next election, uh, which was why I was sceptical of Alex's conclusion that uh, he jumped to. So, Andy and Alex, what are your thoughts? Do you want to go? Yeah, I'm happy to go first. Um, so th- this is a, in my estimation, a story with with, with a bunch of big parts which are operating kind of concurrently. Um, so the first of which is what we kind of t- t- you touched on briefly, which is well, um, what is the actual argument in favour of guns anyway, um, and also running concurrently with that, uh, should there be any debate at all? about uh, guns and whether uh, law-abiding citizens should have access to them. Number three, whether uh, foreign entities should be able to influence domestic uh, parties. Now, to answer them, my, 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 my initial reaction is I don't really see... Where the, most political parties will take um, foreign donations anyway. Okay, they're going to. And there's always going to be some element of foreign interest in any election regardless. And to kind of single out the NRA as the big bad guy, particularly, um, obviously it's a hot gun or a hot topic now because of Christchurch, um, to single out the NRA as kind of this big evil organisation trying to undermine the Australian election I think is disingenuous, number one. Number two, to paint Pauline Hanson as someone who is courting these donations in an attempt to undermine Australian gun laws is disingenuous and dangerous, number two. Um, when you talk about the Second Amendment, as we've said before, the Second Amendment isn't designed so that you can go and shoot up people you don't like. Okay? And the argument that people make is, well, why do you need semi-automatic weapons? Like, what reasonable person would have any use for semi-automatic weapons? Um, the problem with that is that you're automatically assuming that this, the, the use for guns is just for an everyday purpose. The, desi- the design of the Second Amendment in the United States was not so that you can carry something around um, and shoot at people you don't like, but it's in the event where a government becomes tyrannical that you have a means by which you can defend yourself. Okay? Because the Founding Fathers in the United States recognised the ability of a government to turn tyrannical and to turn against its own people in a violent means. Because we should recognise the fact that it is the state which has a uh, monopoly on violence. Uh, the police are entitled and encouraged to carry guns. Uh, the police are entitled to use a degree of force which is substantially higher 
than that of the average citizen when carrying out their duties. Um, so that's what I would say relative to gun control. So it, I, I have absolutely no dramas with the NRA consulting with Pauline Hanson. Absolutely no dramas, particularly because they are the preeminent uh, gun activists around the world. Not only this, there is not a massive st uh, st stink up when you have George Soros funded groups consulting get with, up and get up uh, and the like consulting with Labor and the Greens. So I would say they're just as extreme in many of their policies as the NRA. So the problem is though is that you don't have that argument being made uh, in Australia for sensible gun laws, right? In the same way that there is in the United States, there isn't this kind of um, predisposition of we have the right to guns and people are taking it away. It was like in Australia, it was we never had the right to guns, so when they took it away, it wasn't a really big deal. Um, but what I would say in reference specifically to the Pauline Hanson, that this is one of the problems with um, what was going to happen post Christchurch was that there were aspects of the left, particularly in the media, which used uh, kind of um, the tragedy as a means by which to score political points and grind political axes and to further alienate and ostracise uh, members of the right which are concerned about immigration, whatever. And this is exactly what's happened to Pauline. And it's no surprise that the timing of this uh, is now, uh, that they're releasing this documentary and they're smearing Pauline Hanson um, to the extent that they are. Um, in reference to Scott Morrison um, referencing, uh, preferencing Labor more than uh, ahead of One Nation, uh, I know when I was going to the polling booths um, last Saturday uh, for the state election that the Labor people were saying, don't forget to preference One Nation last. There is, for whatever reason, among the middle, uh, severe hostility to Pauline Hanson far more than there is to the Greens. Um, and as I said before, um, I regard the Greens as just as extreme, if not more extreme, than uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation. So if Scott Morrison is prepared to say, uh, we will preference Labor ahead of um, One Nation, I would, I would say to Scott Morrison, well, why don't you tell Labor to stop taking the Green preferences? Mm -hmm. That would be my reaction. Andos? Um, personally, what I take from this is more that just Pauline and One Nation gets such a rough deal from the media. Um, like, whether you like her politics, um, whether you hate it, um, I think there's a consensus by mainstream media to really give her like a, a hard time, um, which I think somewhat helps her when she's able to, um, like the, when she's able to get people who are um, like out in the country who dislike the media um, and just play upon how she gets a rough deal. I think it's sort of like what happened to Trump when um, like you could say that the media backlash towards him during uh, his run up to the election actually helped him. I think that uh, Pauline's rough deal um, is like just a, a dog move by the uh, media in general. Um, and I think that when they run these hit and smear pieces on her, um, they keep trying to knock her down. But just because of that, it makes like the average person like me feel as if like I want to give her a go. Um, I want to hear what she wants, what she has to say, and actually, like, an act rather than just hearing uh, these like hit pieces on her. Okay, well, we're going to wait and see whether it, uh, how she goes with the next election. Um, the only thing I would say, I've had a th been thinking about this for a while, the idea of like politicising tragedy or scoring points in the wake of a tragedy. Um, I'm open to the case that, like, you shouldn't. Like, I just don't quite understand the point because if the tragedy is within the realms of preventability um, in, and preventability through a political course of action, why is it then that you can't, um, like, discuss it in political terms? Now, because you can have a debate whether you should or shouldn't act politically, but if it's, uh, like, tied to a political issue, why shouldn't that political issue be discussed after the tragedy? Um, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be discussed. I, I wasn't saying that it shouldn't be discussed, but I was just saying um, I don't think it was being discussed so much as it was being weaponized to um, 
paint uh, like I don't think that the criticisms were actually legitimate criticisms and I guess that's where my um, rationale lies is that I don't think the criticisms were kind of political and political in nature in the sense they wanted to have a genuine political discussion it just seemed like it was um, it was an excuse to ramp up sentiment against conservatives sure but there's a lot of talk about gun laws though sure but there was um but what I'm saying, what, I, my, my issue was not so much the talk about the gun laws, but it was more the talk about um, the the role of free speech and uh, dis, uh, the opinion of the right. Okay. Well, what I'm saying is that I kind of see this used as a response by both the left and the right, when depending on like when the tragedy fits their narrative or not. Right. So when there's a school shooting or like something like Christchurch, um, the right will say, hey, don't politicise this tragedy. Um, we can't talk about guns right now. We have to like feel for the victims, right? And then when there's a Muslim terror attack, then people on the left say, hey, we can't politicise this tragedy. Um, we can't talk about Islam- it like immigration right now. Um, but when both of those issues are tied up in, when both those tragedies are tied up in immediate political policy prescriptions, like, I don't necessarily see the immediacy, like, of the tragedy as a reason why you shouldn't talk about it. I see maybe it as a reason why you probably should talk about it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be talked about, okay? I'm just saying the way in which it was talked about, from what I could see, was not so much about a legitimate discussion about gun laws as it was a means by which people could uh, slam people on the right and say, um, it's your rhetoric that often got used... Um, saying that uh, we shouldn't give platforms to people like Pauline Hanson. Um, it was less about the guns than it was about that, is what, is what I could see. Okay. All right. I'm happy, to, look, I'm happy to have a discussion. I, I think I don't want to be the person who's pro-free speech, and then when it comes around um, that someone's having a go, at my opinion, in the wake of the tragedy, that I say, okay, well, we don't talk about it. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, it, from my perspective, it looked as if there was, it, was a mean, it was being used as a means by which to silence one side of the side of the spectrum and you can see that through Facebook as well mm-hmm. yeah no I get that um, okay well that's a good differentiation to make um, we've got an international story which Alex is going to bring to us uh, yeah I'm only going to bring it quickly but um, Trump has come out and basically what he said is um, the what is known as the um, Northern Triangle. So El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala, Trump is going to cut foreign aid to. Um, the reason for which is basically because it looks as if there is an assembly of what Trump is describing as the mother of all migrant caravans, uh, which is assembling in these countries and heading towards the US again. So this is not the first migrant caravan that's come towards the US. Mm-hmm. Um, the, at least a third. It's at least a third, um, but this is apparently unprecedented in size. So what Trump is saying is um, all these countries have the power to stop this caravan come to the US. Donald Trump has made it very explicitly clear what his expectations are regarding the caravan. If you continue to defy the wishes of the United States in response to their own border, he's going to cut your foreign aid. Okay. Um, so there are a couple of reactions, as you can imagine regarding foreign aid and um, this is i think foreign aid is a good discussion to have just as a broad general point about what is the role of the state in um taking money from its own citizens and giving it to citizens of other countries i think that's that's a good discussion to have so we might do that as well but um some reactions so omar navarro a republican guy says trump cuts off foreign aid to el salvador uh guatemala and honduras i'm happy to hear he's putting america first uh richard bloom uh, cutting foreign aid to our uh, Central American neighbours will be broadly destabilising and exacerbate the problems that are leading to migration from these countries. Uh, Colin Carl, former Obama advisor. Uh, the only crisis at the border is a humanitarian one, and now Trump wants to make it worse by cutting off uh, the aid to El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras that addresses... Um, that's used to address the violence and poverty driving thousands to our borders. Um, so basically the argument that these guys are making is, well, um, you're actually going to make the problem worse uh, by cutting foreign aid because that's going to reduce 
kind of the standard of living of the people living there, so they're going to want to leave even more, and they're going to come more. There's going to be more people coming. So that's zero. Um, Trump's come out and he said uh, Mexico has a $100 billion trade surplus with the United States. Um, they're making a fortune off us. Um, and if they don't fix this, we're just going to close the southern border altogether. That's what he said. Just close it altogether um, until this, this stops, stops happening. Um, headline reaction to the story first, and then we might do kind of the pros and cons of foreign aid afterwards, maybe. You can go first, um, Personally, I'm not sure whether it's smart or justified for a leader to tell another leader or country that you have to restrict your people's uh, freedom of movement. Um, yeah, I don't think... I think it would make you... It would make me, as if I was Trump, it would make me more inclined to strengthen like the border wall. And I think you could, like the border protection. But I'm not sure that the way to go about it is to uh, make, is just to tell these countries what, like how they have to treat their people in regard to where they think their people can move. Um, that's my initial reaction. I don't know if that's uh, ethical from the Donald. Um, well, the first thing I would say is that I, I like that um, foreign aid will be tied to performance. Um, I think that's generally uh, a good idea. And I think that um, if... Because, uh, like, it's no use giving money to people who aren't going to, like, change. Um, it's much better to give the money to those people uh, who will use the money productively, right? Um, because if you give money to those countries uh, who will not perform, who refuse to perform, uh, you are then funding their own mediocrity, right? And you're encouraging them, giving them an incentive to stay mediocre. So on a broad scale, I like the idea that we're happy to stop giving you foreign aid if you're not performing. Um, on the level of the caravan, I think um, in response to Andy's point, the first thing we should acknowledge is that a lot of times... You know, the caravans are going through a bunch of countries, right? Mm -hmm. So the leaders of those countries are often not dealing with their own people. They're dealing with illegal immigrants from other countries, right? Um, so the question, uh, but, then, but then also it's like they've explicitly stated their intention will be, like, oh, well, I'm assuming this because this is the other caravan. They're saying we're going to America yeah. um, and we're going to be trying to get in. They're not going, they're not going to uh, Mexico the, the, to, yeah. to go and live on the beach, right? Yeah. Um, and that's uh, a bit of mens rea, um, which will be followed by actus rea. Um, and I think they will, I think it's totally within the jurisdiction uh, of Trump to say, hey, if we're going to have a deal, this needs to work two ways. Um, I don't want these people turning up, um, you know, five or ten grand poorer uh, with no chance of getting in and, and with a trip home that they're going to have to make. Yep. Um, so I, I, li I, like, I like that. Um, and I will make the broader point um, that like the idea that, well, we need to give them foreign aid because they then, you know, it's going to be destabilizing, um, you know, their, their people need it, blah, blah, blah. And I'll give a quick little history economics. I'll try and keep it short, right? If you look um, in like 19... The early 1970s, I think it's 1971, when South Korea and North Korea were both devastated by the North Korean, but by the Korean War. They were both equally as poor as each other. Um, North Korea is very poor today. Many of their people are dying from starvation, um, but South Korea is just as rich uh, as any city in America or Australia uh, or Canada. Um, if you look at East and West Germany, um, you'll see that uh, one had one type of East Germany had a collective communist type policy and uh, West Germany had a more liberal capitalist policy. Um, if you have a look at Hong Kong versus mainland China, you'll find the same thing. Uh, and then if you even go into South America, and can you fix the camera, um, and you look at the economic policies of, let's say, Chile under the Chicago Boys um, versus Venezuela under Maduro, you will find uh, the same thing. Now, we're not uh, you know, endorsing the political policies of Pinochet uh, 
but we do like uh, we we recognise that the Chicago uh, Austrian Chicago boys Austrian style of economics works to lift people up. Right? There's actually a formula which is very observable um, as to how to lift people out of poverty and into the first world. Um, but what it actually requires is those governments give up power and put it back in the hands of the people, uh, which if you're a government official, you've got your choice of the women, you've got your choice of luxury cars, you've got your choice of beach houses, is a tough sell to the elite political class, right? And so when we give foreign aid, we should actually be expecting that those liberal economic ideas, which are going to lift people up um, in terms of free markets, um, the kind of emancipation of women to work if they choose, um, a kind of you know deregulation. Um, they, these are all like the, the fundamental building blocks of how you lift your population out of poverty. Um, and as far as I'm concerned, um, it's the solution, the economic solution to the suffering of those countries will not be found in foreign aid anyway, unless those. Um, uh, those reforms are taking place. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good characterization of both issues, both on the micro and macro level. What I would add is um, this is what Trump was elected on. This is absolutely and kind of the the idea that it is no secret that Trump um, wants to f- fix up the holes in the border. That's not, that's not this is not a new policy. This is uh, and it should come as no surprise that um, this is kind of the logical extension of his policy prescription. Um, it should, in his mind, he said, well, it shouldn't take me by the third time for me to have to say, we don't really, we're not a fan of caravans for you guys to um, pull your head and do something about it. So I'm just gonna have to pull the pin on, on, on the cash cow. Um, to speak to a, a broader point um, about foreign aid, um, if your argument is that these countries will be destabilised when you pull out foreign aid, um, the country's not very stable. The mm. country's obviously not very stable in the first place. So you should probably address that underlying issue. If you're, if you're relying on um, the benevolence of the United States to keep your country together, then there's probably some serious issues at home which you may need to address. Now... Um, my argument and that kind of of the Austrians and, and the libertarians to a degree is foreign aid keeps these countries poor because all you're doing, uh, many of the countries, the countries that are the poorest are the ones with the most government control. And so what often happens is when you give these countries foreign aid, most of it ends up in the hands of those who are distributing it. So uh, it, it is a question of, well, are we going to continue to fund the lifestyles of the uh, bureaucrats in Central America while there are kids uh, who are starving and um, violence is just a way of life? Um, Or are we going to uh, actually require them to pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Because this cannot be an inorganic process. This has to come from uh, the people in Guatemala, Honduras and El Salvador. we should also recognise the fact as well that the, often um, the media will characterise these migrant caravans as uh, constituted almost entirely by women and children. This is not the case. It is almost entirely constituted by men aged between 18 to 35. Now, do they drive cars? Because I don't think they drive cars in the caravan. I think they walk. They walk. And um, you, you surprise, surprise, uh, to walk across several countries does not lend itself to a demographic makeup of women and children. Yeah. So, um, and this is this is one of the problems with fake news is that when uh, CNN sends their reporters down there, they'll find the one to kind of five percent of the caravan that is women and children, lump them all together, and then uh, broad brush say that this is what is constituted, or this is what constitutes the entire caravan. It's not the case. It's it's like uh, fighting age males. Like it's fighting age males. Kind of 15 to 45. Uh, and again, this is what has happened in Europe as well when they talk about the uh, Syrian refugees and the refugees from North Africa who are coming and flooding Europe. Um, it is not women and children that are flying into uh, the suburbs of London and of England and of Germany and of Sweden. Um, it is 18 to 35, unemployed, uh, 
still bringing many of the dangerous cultures that brought their country to its knees in its first place, um, and then they're just copying and pasting it into the West. So um, when Donald Trump talks about they're sending their worst, uh, they're not sending their best, this is often the case. He's not wrong when he says, when MS-13 has an enormous presence in, in El Salvador, and um, to be kind of bringing all these people in uh, with no uh, prior restrictions and just kind of dumping them and just seeing kind of where they land is not a good policy and practice. Um, Donald Trump, I think, is absolutely right on this. I think, if anything, he probably should have pulled the pin earlier. Um, I think, absolutely, we need to always mm. have a critical eye when it comes to foreign aid, particularly because we are taking money from our citizens without their consent and then giving it mm. to other people. I think it's not the first time Trump's pulled foreign aid. I think he pulled it from Palestine a little while ago um, because of the Palestinian Liberation Authority's connection with Hamas. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, I think that was good. Good wrap-up and some good theory in that one. I think it's good because um, foreign aid is often one of those topics where it's like, how can you be against foreign aid? I've heard that plenty of times. Um, I think the actual humanitarian case for getting rid of um, foreign aid is actually far more powerful than most people recognise. So I would encourage people to consider that standpoint. In the same way that minimum wage is, it's one of these economic myths that gets... Because um, obviously cutting foreign aid is good economics, but in some respects bad politics. Mm. Um, and people want to stay away from the idea that you're cutting stuff from the poorest people. But um, has, has Donald, is he, would we say he's pro-foreign aid or uh, anti-foreign aid? There's no such thing as pro or anti-foreign aid. It's just in conjunct, it's just in comparative, it's just how much you value it compared to what you would otherwise use that money for. I would say, I, I wouldn't be so absolute on it. I think, I think you can be, you, I think you can be, because of course, like Alex, for example, from that uh, synthesis, would say is anti foreign aid. Um, I think it's yeah. I just think it's a tough argument to make. That the foreign aid, foreign aid case in non-emergency cases. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we've got uh, what do we got next? Beta mail of the week. Oh, oh god, yeah. god, yeah. Our favourite segment, beta mail of the week. Um, the least favourite segment of some of our listeners. The least favourite <laughs> segment of some of our non-listeners, maybe even. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think we got a couple of good contenders this week. <laughs> we got three. I see um, two real contenders. Um, Andy, why don't you run us through the first one? Uh, so Michael Avenardi, um, who rose to prominence as the lawyer for Stormy Daniels in her case against uh, Stormy D against. Too quick, too slick. DT Stormy Double D. Um, he has been arrested and charged with extortion <laughs> um, against uh, two cases: one in New York, one in California, which both carry uh, cl- close to, if not fifty-year sentences, uh, if charged, if he's uh, convicted. If they throw the sink at him, they throw the kitchen sink at him. Which I they hope they do. Won't. I don't think they will. Um, but he has been charged with extortion of Nike, um, threatening to uh, make their, like release a, a hit piece pretty much on them in a press conference uh, that he said would cost them $200 billion on the stock market. And he's saying uh, pretty much he's out to ruin Nike over a high school basketball scandal or something like that. Um, so yeah, he's been charged. He tweeted that he was going to have a press conference uh, uh, at the time, he said, I'm going to have a press conference tomorrow and I'm going to give all these truths out about Nike. He was arrested 15 minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he said that he, uh, when all the facts come to light, he's going to be fully exonerated. He's also uh, said that the charges aren't true, even though there is uh, a wiretap of him saying uh, to Nike, I'm not expletive around. Um, and it goes on. Uh, so yeah, he's been the the civil rights champion has been done. Um, got the Trump curse. Got the Trump curse. There was also someone else, uh, another prominent lawyer whose name I've forgotten, who is uh, who is yeah. semi in cahoots with. Who was also the lawyer for Justice Smollett? Is my lawyer for Justice Smollett, lawyer for Michael Jackson, and lawyer for Colin Kaepernick. 
Mm. Um, yes, yeah, and civil rights champions in the in the close group. Donald Trump uh, Jr., who's a real favourite of the Trump base and of the Republican base, um, had a good line uh, where CNN was previously uh, endorsing Avenatti for a um, 2020 presidential run. So they felt like he was a fighter, he could stand up to Trump. Donald Trump Jr. said CNN's gone from Avenatti 2020 to Avenatti 20 to 25, uh, which was a good one line, I thought, from DJT. Nice little stinger. Junior. Nice little stinger. Well, the thing is, Avenatti could be facing, I'm fairly certain, it's 50 years in California and 47 years in New York. Mm. So, and he's not, he's not, uh, he's not old by any means. But there's a chance if he gets convicted and thrown the sink at, um, even just in one of the jurisdictions, we we might not see our friend Michael uh, for a long, long time. For a, a very, we might not see him ever again. So, um, it's just the only problem is that these um, prisons in New York and California are so overcrowded that if you white collar crime very rarely gets a lengthy conviction. I mean, um, good chance to say that he would not have a very fun time in prison. I would say. Maybe I don't know. All right, Jim Jeffries, what a scrub. Jim Jim Jeffries gets my vote. I think. All right, well we should explain the story first. Jimmy J, who got it. I can do it if you want. Jim Jeffries uh, has a show. I think it's called The Jim Jeffries Show. Anyway, it's on Comedy Central in America. Don't watch it. Just telling you. Um, He's an Australian comedian. um, And he brought over on the show um, a guy called Avi Yemenai. And he's an Australian guy, Jewish. um, And one of his things is being critical of Islamic immigration, right? So Jim Jeffries... Uh, actually brought him over and I think did the interview before Christchurch but released it two months before after Christchurch straight up um, straight after Christchurch and what Jim Jeffries did is he uh, cut up um, answers from RVM and I over like a, I think a one hour interview yeah. um, condensed it into a couple of minutes um, but the condemning thing for Jim Jeffries is that he used Arby's answers to some questions and put them uh, 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 edited, them, edited them in as if they were responses to uh, other questions uh, to make Arby look like a racist, a white supremacist um, uh, Islamophobe, blah 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 which just was not the case um, and what Jim Jeffries didn't bank on was that Arby brought in a secret camera uh, and taped the whole thing and is able to show um, all of the splices, right? All of the splices that happen. Um, so not only did we see that, um, but but the story gets get worse. It actually gets quite a lot worse and quite a lot darker than just this. Um, so in the days after uh, Arby released the video, uh, which is kind of his biggest uh career milestone like that's his biggest thing that's happened to him in his kind of online political cultural commentary career his facebook page uh gets banned right um for uh, i think it's like breaching a fe- community guidelines for breaching community guidelines right breach now they never provide a quote uh of what 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 he you know of, of what he actually breached they alleged it was hate speech they alleged it was hate speech um uh, and that being said, the Facebook video uh, and of Jim Jeffries splicing up his answers, which had nothing to do with what he actually said about each question, uh, was still up. Comedy Central uh, was still up. Comedy Central's videos, I think like on their website, was still up. Um, Jim Jeffries didn't say anything publicly. Comedy Central didn't say anything publicly. Um, but you had RV, the little guy, getting banned. Um, and so it's hard to say what, how, how deep and how wide, how broad those implications run and what you can reasonably infer from that. But none of it is good. It demonstrates a total lack of self-awareness on best case scenario from Facebook. Um, it demonstrates uh, Jim Jeffries being a bit of a dick. Uh, Not and just a bit serious. Uh, and also dishonest, right? Also dishonest. And um, I think Jim Jeffries, especially uh, for not apologising, not making it public, um, deserves at least a beta male of the week uh, nomination 
I would encourage you, as I have been doing, to go to Jim Jeffrey's Facebook page, uh, go to his Instagram, go to his YouTube, and just demand apologies, right? And support the other comments, um, which are also demanding apologies um, to RVM and I. Because you know what? Uh, if this would not be have been the first time that Jim has done this, um, it is typical of quite a few major media outlets to do this. Um, it was just this time that uh, someone brought in a, a hidden camera, right? Um, so on behalf of all the other people who got stitched up, who we will never know about, uh, as well as on behalf of Arvi, I would encourage you to go and be active uh, in uh, demanding an apology and a public statement from Jim Jeffries and the Comedy Channel. And in the meantime, do not watch their stuff. Um, also, um, Arvi agreed to the interview knowing uh, of the shady tactics and so he agreed on two conditions. The first of which is that his comments don't get spliced up and changed, uh, altered in any way, done straight away by Jim Jeffries. Also, the other condition was that he wasn't put in a segment um, which had other like white nationalists in it. And or he just had white nationalists. Yeah, uh, but he just didn't not. want to be involved with white nationalists whatsoever. Mm. So that was another condition of the video and uh, of the of the interview. And within the first ten seconds of the inter of the segment of Jim Jeffrey show, it talks about mm. uh, the white nationalists mm. and then Christchurch. Uh, yeah, and groups Arby in with mm. that. The only other thing I'm going to say, a little CHP link, is we did a, a couple of photos um, on our Facebook and social media and actually got the like from Arby, which was quite nice from his official account. That was good. Yeah. I would say, um, to put this into, into context, Jim Jeffries rose to prominence primarily. He's a comedian, but he did a, a pretty funny bit. I will admit that it's funny. I'm pro-guns, but his bit on um, the NRA and gun and gun laws is actually pretty funny if you watch it. So he did this bit on gun laws and he kind of took the piss and um, basically after that um, he got shut up, uh, put on a pedestal as kind of a, a sane voice for gun control and because um, obviously humour is particularly powerful in persuading opinion in a way that kind of other forms of communication just can't do. Um, so it was really funny, he kind of got this point across that guns were, were stupid to have in a house and lock away. Um, Anyways, and so it was from that that obviously this kind of left-leaning uh, media, particularly late-night comedy media, said, oh, well, this is our guy, right? So what they've done is they brought Jim Jeffries over and pretty much what they've, he's turned into a kind of political commentator when the only political thing he had ever done prior to that was make a joke about guns. And so this is obviously now the situation where he's perceived as not like a... Well, he's... Uh, they've tried to make him appear as if he was kind of like a sane, down-to-earth Australian guy who was just kind of t taking the piss where the piss needed to be taken. Now, what's, what's become obviously apparent is that that may have been the original intention, but it's not the case anymore. He is as much a product of the late-night, uh, hyper-left-wing, anti-Donald Trump brigade as there is. Mm. Um, and that's really where the money is yeah. in, um, in, that, in, in that kind of vein of gold for those for those people who want to be in the cool Hollywood space, they want to know celebrities, they want to make some money, they want to have a show named after them on Primetime Comedy Channel, uh, Comedy Central. Mm. Um, and so it's not surprising, just disappointing. Yeah. Um, it's particularly disappointing because he hasn't, he hasn't apologised yet and no one's really mm. made reference to it. Well, in, 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 but just quickly in reference to your point about Facebook and Facebook taking RBM down, um, is this best case self-awareness, uh, lack of self-awareness. I don't think it is. I think everyone, I think the, repeatedly we've seen examples where the wrong guy has been, in our perception, they've got the wrong guy. Um, I think it's the, the presumption of innocence when it comes to Facebook, I think it's pretty well tarnished when we look at um, censorship of conservatives. Um, and also, also um, if you like see the like the interview or like parts of it that Arby is putting out, the rhetoric of Jim on the yeah. show is like quite horrendous. It's like drawing Muhammad, making these Muslim jokes, 
And Arby's the one that's Well, he's joking oh, no, about no. killing Muslim babies. Yeah, and Arby's yeah, the well, one who's we stuck don't mind. I don't mind drawing Muhammad. Uh, he did make a pretty bad joke about um, killing Muslim babies. We don't, like, on principle, you can say whatever the hell you want, yeah. but then don't um, go and run a hit piece on somebody else when you're actually saying worse stuff in the interview uh, than they are, trying to cajole them into saying something that you can splice up and throw out to the public. It's a yeah. typical Saul Linsky tactic is to accuse other people of yeah. exactly that which you are guilty rules, of. Yeah. Rules for radicals. Yeah, um, okay, final beta male of the week nomination goes to beta male of the galaxy, Jussie Smollett. I don't um, think we should give it to him. Well, I'm just, saying, I'm just saying he gets another beta male of the week nomination. As, um, but this is also tied to like the city of Chicago, the judicial infrastructure that, that's tied in the city of Chicago who have dropped all charges against Jussie. Now, nothing in the case has actually changed. It's widely agreed upon uh, throughout the, le- the, the law enforcement uh, infrastructure and bodies that Jussie fully uh, faked his own hate crime. It was totally a hoax, um, but nonetheless, nobody is pressing charges. Um, he is a racist. Um, Jussie is a total beta. Um, and he gets another nomination um, for the award. Um, now, just in terms of giving a shameless plug, there's a few things we want to do um, to go forward as a podcast and as like video makers. Um, we just started up a, uh, a Patreon, so we'll put a link in the description. Um, for the Patreon, you can donate like a dollar a month or something. That would be sweet. Um, but... You don't have to. Um, but one of the uh, one of the things we want to do with the money is buy a real beta male of the week trophy, and like we can engrave all the betas nominations or the, the beta male recipients of the week um, on the trophy. We want to engrave it, but we want to get like a big Jussie Smollett head on top of the trophy, and we're going to call it the Jussie Smollett Beta Male of the Week Award. Um, so if you want to contribute to that, uh, you can do it down below. Um, we also want to be getting like a few new camcorders to get some camera angles, some artificial lighting, um, just to kind of make the setup better. Um, but Justice Mollett gets an award. Um, I would say um, I, I want to give a, a massive beta male nomination to Kim Fox. Kim Fox is the Cook County State's attorney who um, circumvented the Chicago Police Department and dropped the charges against Justice Mollett. Now, the allegations that she was contacted by a former chief of staff for Michelle Obama. Um, and obviously, uh, the word has got down to uh, Kim Fox who dropped the case and dropped the charges because she was the prosecutor. First thing we should recognise, uh, Rahm Emanuel, Chicago, the mayor of Chicago, has said this is an absolute disgrace, that it was a whitewash of justice. Same thing by the Chicago Police Department themselves, said this is ridiculous. We devoted so much time on this, the massive media attention, and now all of a sudden he's, he, the charges are getting dropped. This is a disgrace. Third thing I would say is, you want to talk about white privilege? How about black gay privilege? That's Because that's exactly what's happened here. This guy's made up a story, was more than prepared to implicate two random white guys, uh, hired two black guys to do the story, got charged, got found out, um, and he's going to walk away scot-free, uh, having, again, tried to drag the reputation of millions of white American Make America Great Again supporters um, and he gets nothing. He's nothing. This is this is black gay privilege. If I've seen it, mm-hmm. if I have seen it, um, and anyone who says otherwise, um, this is probably the most unbelievably ridiculous case um, that should just dispel all myths about privilege that there is. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Um, who have we got for beta male of the week? I just think because our store, our, our award is named after Jussie, that he's going to be on the award forever. I would love to see Jim Jeffrey's name carved into the gold uh, trophy, which yeah, we're going to get. I think so. I think so as well. And I think um, Avenatti might get a uh, another shot further down the line if he gets exonerated or even if he gets convicted. Mm-hmm. So um, I think Jimbo uh, gets this one, especially uh, since he has to apologise and that he's a total douchebag. He's... You cuck. Um, okay, Andy, why don't you tell us why we should boycott Apple? And I'm just going to give you a second to gather your thoughts. Yeah, I think, um, I, I think I actually... Because you, you do need a second to gather your thoughts. I don't want to hear you start off with, uh, well, personally, uh, obviously, on the broader idea, 
Um, I want to hear you go straight to the point. I want you to hear you punch Apple right in the... Uh, I want to interject here. I don't think we should be um, slamming Andy for the way he introduces his points. Each of us have our own little idiosyncrasies. As you would point out, I like to say, um, I think we should remember. Um, Dougal, you like to say, uh, boys and girls. Um, so I'd like to say, um, you should drop the charges against uh, our Dusty Smollett here. Um, and give him a little bit of a break. Hoodie Doss. Hoodie Doss, who's um, been reunited with his honey soy kettle chips. So I should see no reason. Do you want his honey soy kettle chips? Of course I want them. That's why I bought them, so I could eat them. Why are you standing up? I'm going to go. I was about to go get them. Remember when I ate chips on the podcast? It ruins the sound. Yeah, I was going to distance myself. Anyway, Andy, okay. bring, take it away, mate. Um, so firstly, I think that the products created by Apple are not in the interest of the consumer for a couple of reasons. Stay. Are you going to... Go, go. Don't worry. First of all, the designing of the products is that they break after a certain time of usage. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's fair. Which means that you get into this vicious cycle of uh, this year I need a new phone, the next year you need a new iPad, the next year you need a new computer. And when... It's just a, a monop- it's such a monopoly on the like on the game and the minds of the people who are in it. Um, as they as well as just producing the same products over and over, just like slightly bigger or with a little bit better camera quality or something like that. Um, I think it means that the interest uh, that if if the products themselves weren't designed to break, then I think it would be. Like I wouldn't have this stance, but Apple itself has created this monopoly in which uh, they can the complete pretty much complete dogs to the consumer in that they uh, overcharge on their products. Uh, they oh my goodness, um, yeah they've got like such a monopoly uh, and this vicious cycle they create I think is really really bad. Um, yeah, that's that's what it is really. I think that. Uh, Personally, well, not personally. I think overall, if we didn't have such an addiction to Apple and Apple products, everything, uh, like a lot of lives, would be significantly better. I mean, um, everyone has, uh, like, a, a, every, pretty much everyone has a phone. Most of those people would have iPhones, and even if you're like really poor or like really don't need to have this like high upper class phone upper class as phone. in as in like top of the range phone that's what I meant um, you still get it and I think that if uh, we transferred from Apple to another different type of technology supplier that was more genuine uh, and generous to the consumer I think it would be create a better society okay um, I'm going to say a few things first of all um I think we should recognise the fact uh, that Apple came out with the first uh, user-friendly smartphone. Um, Most of the other smartphones today are largely influenced um, by that creative direction that Apple took with those user-friendly iPhones. Um, And I think they have, as a result, made uh, the, the lives of a lot of people much better than they would have been before. Even those people who don't actually use Apple phones or Apple products, uh, the other companies that they would use um, have been so largely influenced by Apple that they have, uh, in some ways, um, been a beneficiary uh, of Apple. Um, So I personally have quite a lot of goodwill uh, towards Apple. Now, whether their products today uh, deserve to be bought or not, is a good question, but I would challenge Andy on the point that Apple has a monopoly. Um, Huawei uh, currently sells more phones than uh, Apple does, right? Samsung sells a lot of phones. There is no shortage of competition uh, against Apple right now for the um, for the money uh, for the market of um, high-level uh, smartphones, right? Um, and so I think like. I agree with you that in a range of areas, Apple is not delivering the quality that it used to. Um, for example, I bought an HP laptop and I had a, a few months ago and I had a real toss up whether I buy any computer camera um, between an HP laptop uh, or an Apple MacBook. 
Oh, sorry, or an Apple. Um, what what are the really small ones? MacBook Air. The MacBook Air. I was thinking choosing between one of the two, but uh, the HP was um, a lot more powerful and a lot less expensive. Yep. Um, so I went with the HP. Um, and then Tandy's brought a point of the boycott. Um, as far as I can tell, that's almost. I would say that's a that's a media hype up of your position. Um, what you're really saying is that. Uh, other products are delivering better values, not that we should boycott Apple in particular? Um, firstly, I'd like to uh, say, like Huawei, I would think would be selling a lot of their products overseas. Um, obviously, I was uh, should have made it more clear, but I don't really know the phone demographics uh, overseas. I think that Apple um, probably has a higher concentration of consumers in Australia than it would uh, in most places, that'd be my first thought. <laughs> Andy, let's go. Um, yeah, I think that Apple itself, at in its current form, is provides is more detrimental to, to the consumer than like positive. Um, and uh, yeah, other other <laughs> other companies are providing better services, um, but still, I'm I'm a vic- I'm do victim you, of Do you think that, that it's, it's genuinely detrimental? I think so. Do you think the government should legislate? No. Do you think of that the consumers not. are worse off after they buy an Apple product? Uh, yes. Are consumers unsafe by buying Apple? No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, I wouldn't say they're unsafe. No. Okay. Um, so, so for example, we may, we may um. Are you saying? I'll, I'll tell you what is so funny though. Everybody agrees, right, that Apple does not deliver the quality for the price point at which they sell their products. Right, that's widely agreed upon. Except Andy is going to trash my conclusion of Red Rock Deli chips having daylight for second on the basis that that was agreed upon. Right, um, I but I don't know, I know I anybody. Think... I don't know anybody who says that Apple products uh, deliver premier quality better than Huawei and better than Samsung, even though their price points higher than both of them. So your conclusion is actually much more agreed upon than mine. So I you can disagree. go and suck eggs. I disagree. On such a high level that that you think there are some people that don't think that like Apple's providing uh, the right service that Apple is the like head of the game. Um, one of my buddies, uh, who I'm not going to disclose his name, bought like the new iPhone XS or whatever. Spent like over, I think over a G bird on it. Nobody who bought the iPhone X oh, thought it was thought it was worth ten thousand dollars of quality. They it's bought it. Ten- they bought it. <laughs> They, they bought it because it was cool to have, not because the phone was really good. I don't understand, I don't understand the hype. It's like, so you, you, know, you pull out your phone and you go, oh, you're the XS. Yeah. yeah. I think like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Where's the rest of it? Um, Alex, I think you can wrap this one up and bring it home because I don't think me and Andy are going anywhere. I don't think you guys are going anywhere. I, um, I, I will ride the fence here, actually. Um, I think Andy's absolutely right in the sense that you don't get the the price point to value comparison is um, is not there. It's not there. However, um, the libertarian argument is well, what you have to do is you we've got to value that iPhone more than we value that eleven hundred dollars that we're that we're spending. Otherwise, there would be no exchange that takes place. So, if you want to talk about value, in truth, um, people are obviously actually valuing. Um, that iPhone more than the eleven hundred dollars that they're getting over now. Whether or not they're actually satisfied long term with the product, I'm never, I never said they don't value it. What I said, I think was you that, said that almost word that for word. They understand they're not getting the technological quality of that price point. It's like, well, you change your position, yeah, but I, I'm I'm happy to. Agree. I agree with that, but I just think that they it, buy it for the brand for the. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I agree. But if you talk about value as a principle, you have to, um, to, to for an exchange to happen. That's got to be the, that's the basic principle. But Andy's out there pretending that people are in having this like hot debate about whether the technological the technological capabilities of Apple products are in um, are aligned with their price points, and nobody's having that debate. Now, I would actually, uh, if you want to talk about boycotting Apple, I think a better reason would be uh, the security of your own data would sure. actually be a much better argument that Andy should make. Um, that being said, um, if Andy wants to talk about the aesthetics and the technological thing, is a boycott. Well, he called it. Well, <laughs> it's a boycott by name. I don't know if it's a boycott by nature. Mm. Um, yeah, just another argument you could use to uh, 
The same way you boycott Apple, I'd say. I think I think the data security thing is much more prevalent than um, you're not really getting value for money. I'm happy to make your point for you. You Thank should run you. the conclusions it. by us. Yeah. We'll, we'll make it better. Um, and and how about you stop trashing other people's conclusions then well, come up with these flimsy, whimsical ones. Your conclusion was trash. Uh, the, I'd say the second is probably Smith's just because traditionally they have a... Like, Dude, a, I think there's big competition with... I think um, Kettle. Smith's, Kettle, Grainwaves. Grainwaves yeah. was a revolution in chip, te- chip technology. You just said that because our uncle said that. Um, I said it because I believe it. <laughs> Um, but Andy, no. So you're you quite, would you quote totally would you quote Christopher Hitchens ever? What do you mean? Do you ever quote Christopher Hitchens or say something? Sure, I just, give, I, just, I just I just credit it. But I I believe it. Okay. So just because someone else says something that he believes, you're not allowed to say it. I'm saying should as general practice credit it if you. Okay. Do, what, take does he have a patent? Away. Does he have a patent? Does he have a patent on it? No. No. I so never said he did. So he doesn't have any obligation to say it. <laughs> Well, do you have any obligation to thank mum when she cooks you dinner? No, but it's just good practice to do it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it's good practice to, to thank everyone who you take an idea? Do you have any original no, I'm ideas? I'm not saying taking ideas from I'm saying when you quote them word for word. And especially when it's such a not a common knowledge idea. Yes. But it's co- not common knowledge. That's a Dude, can I tell you, um, if, if we spent... If we actually did what you're proposing, we would never get to the end of a podcast. Okay. Well, we don't. We don't get to the end of a podcast anyway. So. You know what? We will get to the end of that packet of um, honey baked ham, honey sweet chickens that you brought over. Oh, honey baked ham. I think I don't know if they do them anymore. They do. Yeah, just select stores. That is by far and away my favourite chip flavour. Oh, yeah. Kettle honey baked ham. You can get your hands on some honey baked. Also, um, thin, Send them in. thin, thin, thin. About sending us a present. Thins underrated, light and tangy. Yeah. Uh, so, oh, Andy, how about you take your. Your, your damn hostility That doesn't mean back. they're on the same level as Red Rock Deli. I didn't say they were. Red Rock Deli has one flavour that's uh, head and shoulders above. Chili, uh, balsamic, sea salt and balsamic vinegar, slaps. Slaps. You reckon it's better than more widely agreed upon? Oh, so Andy, tell me how, how agreed upon my conclusion <laughs> is. Alright, we're going to wrap this one up. We're going to wrap this one up. Thanks, Andy. Uh, um, don't forget to check out our Patreon. I was going to provide a link in the description. Because we need some new gear. We do need some new gear. And we want to deliver better con- like better quality in terms of the production. We actually, what we really want to do long term is if we can take it seriously, Phil Bethereal, um, we can get Alex off the uh, corporate gravy ladder and onto the uh, podcast ladder and then we'll slowly transition all three boys out of the, uh, out of the corporate race. Out of the rat race. And into the race to save the West. Um, and to fight the deep state. And to fight the deep state. We need. We need. <laughs> it's going to be hard to fight the deep state part time. I'm telling you that much, yep. or casually. Um, but nonetheless, we'll see you in the sports and culture report. Andy's favourite part because he gets to run the damn joint. Um, I'm excited because we, we get to we get to smoke the damn joint. We get to smoke the damn joint. We'll be taking a ten minute break. Going to get some refreshments, some deep state fighting food. We're going to get some. Uh, we, get, we need to have some energy in here if we're going to give Tristan Thompson the damn airtime that he damn deserves. So we'll see you back in a minute. It's Carnage House out of here. Oh.